Thank you for joining us for live paranormal radio. From the paranormal to the unexplained, it all happens here. It all happens here. Looking to enhance your radio experience? Participate in our live video chat 24-7 with our live paranormal radio show hosts and other like-minded people. Live. Paranormal.com, the only interactive social chat room supported by Full Interaction Media. Stop by now and join the fun. Stop by now and join the fun. It's raising the vibration on the Live Paranormal Radio Network. Please join us at LiveParanormal.com and all of our affiliates, iHeartRadio.com. Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podomatic, Blog Talk Radio, uh, Player FM. The list goes on and on. I, I only can memorize so many times. I do the best I can do. Uh, hi, I'm your host, Sheena Metal. I'm a psychic medium. I'm an interfaith minister. I'm a 27-year talk radio host. And I come to you live uh, every Tuesday at 5 o'clock Pacific time from Los Angeles, California, which has been my home for over 40 years. So hard to believe. Um, so this show is, was the first outreach of a nonprofit movement of peace and love and kindness and unity that I founded in 2016 after my mom's death to carry on her teachings, both spiritual and humane, and try to put into the world more peace, more love, more kindness, more unity, and more vibrational ascension, which were things that she really thought humanity needed. Um, in addition to those four cornerstone words, this show, Raising the Vibration, the radio show, is about ascension, evolvement, inspiration, and again, love. So basically, what are you doing every day to raise your own vibration? And then... Uh, how is that leading to your ultimate spiritual involvement? And then what are you doing with those two wonderful things? How are you using them to inspire other people to send the elevator down and bring up 100 people, as the case may be? And, uh, and then how much love are you throwing into the world? That's one of the most important things. How much love are you throwing into the world? So every week on the show, I grab people that I think are beautiful, that I think are an example of vibration raising that make my soul warm and will do the same when you hear their wonderful voices and you hear their stories. And my guest today is no exception to that. She's a wonderfully talented author and speaker and performer of a solo performance, what we used to call the one-woman show. And uh, she's just funny and wonderful and spiritual and fantastic and a healer. And I know you're going to love hearing her on the show once again, as she returns here to Raising the Vibration, uh, please welcome my friend Fiona Goodwin is here. How are you, my friend? How are you doing? Hi, uh, Sheena. That is a, one hell of an introduction. That's amazing. No pressure. Thank you. There. No pressure at all. No pressure <laughs> at all, but you're totally going to live up to it. You know that. No pressure at all, my friend. Oh, yes, it's just, um, uh, I think that Everybody in life, you know, people go through life and they put up memes that say things like, this is the time in my life mm-hmm. when I'm cutting out toxic people or I'm letting things go. <laughs> if you're not in my life, you don't, you know what I mean? For me, uh, this is the time in my life where the people that matter to me are the people who are interested in 
putting their own soul into the world and trying to make the everything better, trying to lift up the whole of everything. I think as we all make that middle wow. shift where we go, I'm not taking this anymore, you become like the get-off-my-lawn lady. For me, it's about um, get <laughs> off my lawn if you're not working to raise the vibration of the world, you know? Right. No, I, I, I love that. And, um, and I hope to be one of those people that doesn't have to be told to get off the lawn. Yes, somebody no, else maybe. I will never tell you to get off the lawn or you wouldn't be here. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's right. um, you know, I think that you can really break humanity down, uh, you know, macrocosmically into two kinds of people, people that care only mm-hmm. about themselves and people that understand right. that we're just a tiny part of the everything and care about yeah. what's going on with everyone, right, that your journey is also my journey. Right. No, I, I, that's beautifully put, beautifully put. And, um, you know, I think addressing our own, uh, I'm sorry, but I've been absolutely obsessed with the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp case, forgive me, but it's been so fascinating seeing people put out into the world for all to see all of that dirty laundry. And and I think about all the dirty laundry that we all have and those conversations that we think, oh God, you know, I hope nobody ever hears me in this light, I hope nobody ever sees me like this. And so it's been mm. kind of fascinating, especially in terms of, uh, you know, the idea of a man being a victim, which I think is, was, right. I think it's like the, it's the, uh, it's the Me Too movement, you know, gone the other way, which I think needed to happen, you know, because men, men I think it needed to happen too. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I just, I just don't think that, I mean, only somebody, only somebody like Johnny Depp, with his resources and his popularity, could actually come out and say, uh, and a lot of courage, and say, um, you know, I'm a victim. I'm not saying that he was, he was, uh, he's done everything perfectly, because of course he hasn't. But um, that makes him just another human being, doesn't it? It makes it right, exactly. And I think it. Look, I think Me Too was so important because. There are ways in which the patriarchy needed to be corralled because of the cultural okay that white men could do whatever they wanted because they were white men. And I think that time had to come. Mm -hmm. But I said all the way through that, and I say now that darkness Mm -hmm. and negativity and narcissism and sociopathy, these are not gender-specific things. They're not Mm ethnic-specific things. They're not spiritually specific things. I mean, anybody in a human body can be wrong on the inside. And um, we need to make sure that we believe men when they're saying this one is crazy in the same way that it's important we believe women when they say this one is crazy or violent or dangerous or I'm scared. You know, we're women. We know Mm -hmm. women can be hella scary if the wiring's not right. But also we've so, been given, yeah, I, I mean, we've also been given a kind of a, just a, an open, a, a, a open invitation to say whatever we want about men, thinking that this yes. will never be, right. you know, we'll never be questioned about it. So right. that's and my, that's, and that's, that's my, uh, yeah, and that's my, uh, my, 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 pro, my pro-men statement for the day. <laughs> Yay, up with humans. Yeah, we don't have any right to judge an entire group of people. 
we have to remember that we're humans because on the inside, right? And look, we've been here for three minutes and now I'm getting woo-woo. On the inside, we are all a mixture of our divine masculine and our divine feminine, right? Everybody is. So just because somebody is biologically male or female doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that spiritually they are necessarily what you think because everybody inside is a combination. And maybe it took Johnny Depp, who's kind of a soft-spoken, sweeter, um, falls a little bit more in the middle kind of a guy, for people mm-hmm. to go, oh, yeah, maybe sometimes, you know, people are just wired wrong and they abuse their spouses and it's not always a one-way thing. And I think that's yeah. so important to know because I just think it's important that we get, we, we, we corral the narcissist as much as we can and not mm-hmm. allow them to get away with what they can get away with and mm-hmm. uh, not give them the attention. And you can see in that trial I mean, and from the from all the evidence that's coming out that, you know, there is a certain kind, many kinds, right, of of personality disorders that are just attention-seeking. It's very much like when you're in the paranormal world and you're, you're dealing with spirits, speaking to them or doing a spirit investigation in a house. There are spirits that are just attention-seeking, and they'll do anything yeah. for attention. And I think poor Johnny Depp has been dangerous, of, has been guilty of feeding the troll in the past not knowing maybe how yeah. dangerous the troll was. Because I think when someone attacks right. you, you naturally sort of, you know, um, get your dander up and go after them. It's, I think it's normal. If somebody's attacking you, you fight back. It's our fight or flight mechanism, right? Yeah, and but also, you know, a true narcissist is, is able to uh, woo us, you know, and able to kind of cre- they create an amazing... Uh, image and presence and and we get seduced and uh, and and if we're a little bit vulnerable in our own you know in our own way or in our, our own self-esteem or whatever we become you know we, we become fans of the narcissist and and then it takes a lot for us to yeah. go oh my goodness I really really got that very wrong <laughs> you know yeah especially yeah. when we consider when we, can, yeah. we consider ourselves to be really good judges of character it's terrible when we find out. Oh dear, I, you know, I, I, I got that, I got that so wrong. Uh, but mm, you know, that's I agree. Part of, mm-hmm. that, that's part of us doing our own excavation and finding out. Okay, so why was I vulnerable to that? What made me a prey to that? Because it takes two to tango. So. Absolutely. You know. Well, I think it's a couple things. I think narcissists have a tendency to. I mean, I think it's in their genetic design to find empaths like the wise men found Jesus. You know, I mean, it's like mm-hmm. we're like we have a, a tracking device and they come after us. Um, and mm-hmm. I think as empaths, we're always wanting to heal and help. So when we see yeah. a person that we thought was amazing and then suddenly we start to see the flaws, we immediately think, well, this is a damaged person who needs my help. And I think the yeah. trick with, and I think that was very much the case in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard marriage as well. And I think your own survival as an empath, right, is to get to the place mm-hmm. where you decide what, where do you stop helping and start running for your own survival? Because we're exactly. not supposed to sacrifice ourselves in order to try to help somebody who one, doesn't want to be helped, and two, mm-hmm. doesn't maybe really even have it in their makeup to be helped. I mean, your, 
you know, you work in, in the world of, of spirituality and of psychology. So do you believe that narcissists can be cured? Uh, oh, I don't That's tell any narcissists, question, that, you know. Yeah, don't tell any narcissists. What? But I'm, I'm, I, I said don't tell any narcissists that you know. But um, it's, uh, I, I haven't known a narcissist to be cured. No. And I think part no, of that no. is because, no. you know, I think part of that is because the, you know, there's a sort of, a, there are many different reasons for becoming an narcissist, but abandonment and deep, deep low self-esteem are very difficult to, mm. to, to heal. So uh, mm. you, have to, you have to be able to get to that stuff in order to, and, and the thing is, is there, there are too many of us around, and I include myself in this, maybe have a little bit of hubris about, you know, the idea, because you know, I'm a psychotherapist, so, you know, you can, you can, if you're not careful, think, oh, I'm going to be the one, you know, I'm going to be the one who's going to help this person. I can, yeah. uh, and, uh, and so yeah. we can get caught up in our, in our own, you know, our, our own grandiosity, and that's where, you know, sure. that's where we come a cropper. Um, so I, I agree, and I, and I can say that, yeah, right, and they play are, on that, you know, they play on uh, the fact that you yeah. think that. Yeah, I mean, there are just, a, there are just an all-round good thing for people who have a little, who think they're the, think they're the greatest, <laughs> you know, especially for right. psychologists right. and psychotherapists who think, you know, or just, you know, civilians who meet a narcissist and think, oh, I I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one to fix them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to be able to mm-hmm. the one to be the mm-hmm. one to reach them. And uh, and uh, and then you find out, well, they're just better at it. They're better at being a narcissist than you are at being an empath. So that's a humbling, mm-hmm. humbling process, which I've certainly been through. Yeah, I always say that uh, when I teach workshops about empathy and about narcissism, and I teach both, that um, mm-hmm. an empath always says, what did I do? We always question, right? What did I do? What could I yeah. have done different? A narcissist always mm-hmm. says, what did you do? What could you have done different? So we yeah, wind up taking responsibility for all our stuff and all their stuff, and they don't take yeah. any responsibility. And from a spiritual perspective, um, I believe that sometimes narcissism is nature and sometimes it's nurturing mm-hmm. because I think sometimes it's just a disease of the soul, because you'll find people right. that there's just no reason for it, no abandonment, no, uh, you know, it right. doesn't seem to come from anywhere. It just is. Mm-hmm. And I, I mm-hmm. agree with you. I have never known a real, a real narcissist, a true narcissist, too. Not somebody who is narcissistic or has a narcissistic quality, but a true narcissist mm-hmm. I have never known to get better. And I guess, luckily for me, well, um, I knew so many from the entertainment world that by the time I opened my spiritual practice, I knew I wasn't ever going to save one. So I think that's right. a good thing because part of the battle, I think, is get, going back to the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard thing again, right, is getting to the place where you realize I'm, I'm not doing any good here and I just have to walk away. Right. And the thing is about, about a narcissist, there will always be one more person that wants to be a sycophant or somebody who's, you know, I, I mean, often I, I, I find often in my work with clients that there is an underlying, especially those that are in a relationship to narcissists, there's, there's an underlying mm-hmm. apolo- apology for being alive, you know. It's like they just, 
you know, yeah. the people that are victims of narcissists. You know, they just there's something about them mm-hmm. that just says, you know, I'm just I'm just you know, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, there's just a constant apology going on. The reason existing, right. you know. Right. Well, I think so it's constantly become, being demanded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? They're constantly so being asked to apologize. Yeah. So can I change the subject and ask you a question about your work? Mm. Absolutely. So when you meet people, can you feel spirits around them? If I'm or is that something for you have to tune in? If you have to tune into, gotcha. no. If, if I'm looking for them, I'm not always. So this is the thing. I always say, Fiona, that I'm an empath first. So when I meet right. someone, I instantly feel them. What's going on with them? What's happening with them? Right. What are they feeling right now? Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. if if I occasionally a spirit will reach out and grab me and say, pay attention to me. Um, if there is some darkness in them or maybe a spirit attachment they're carrying, that is a very visceral thing, so you can feel that very easily. But just um, tapping into everyday uh, grandma and grandpa and uh, Uncle Ben, and um, that is really looking for them. I can see them, but I don't always go right. looking for them because I find it distracting from tapping yeah. into what's going on with the person. But if somebody says to me, are there any spirits around me? I mean, of course I can go and find them. But um, mm-hmm. most people, they're just kind of hanging around um, in various levels of accessibility to be tapped into, depending on right. whether or not some of the living want to talk to them. Occasionally one mm-hmm. will really have some kind of an agenda and really need to pass a message, and they'll jump right in your face. But um, mostly mm-hmm. they're just sort of like, you know, grandma and grandpa, like, come visit us when you're not busy, dear. You know, it's like that kind of a thing. <laughs> um, but right. what, what hits me and knocks me on my ass is what's going on inside of people. And sometimes it gotcha. can be a lot. And I have gone to great pains mm-hmm. in my life because, you know, even before I hung my shingle out, I still mm-hmm. uh, suffered as an empath. Um, to make sure mm-hmm. that I put, like, screens and filters up if I can feel that somebody is in so much crisis that they're very draining. And they don't mean to be draining. They're just trying to, you know, it's like somebody drowning, yeah. right? Drowning man will sometimes um, uh, drown their helper. Um, so you just have yeah. to be careful sometimes with with that. And it also depends yeah. on me. I have to make sure that I stay well-nutritioned and well-slept and less stressed so that when I encounter somebody and it is a lot like that, it doesn't affect my mm-hmm. physicality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, it's I love. I it's love a the, lot. Yeah. I love the Netflix uh, series that Tyler Henry did. And, um, you know, right. the Hollywood medium calls himself the Hollywood mm-hmm. medium. Mm-hmm. And um, but he, he talks about the overwhelm of constant, constant mm. voices, constant clamoring, you know. Mm-hmm. And that must be very mm-hmm. hard to deal with. But I guess we, like you say, we all experience it in some ways. If we have any level of intuition, we just, when we meet people, we either feel a kind of a mass of like issues or, you know, we feel a lightness or a clarity, or I think we're all just a lot more empathic than, or intuitive maybe than we realize. Right, right. And it's a muscle. The yeah. more you use it, the more it happens. Right. The more it's, uh, you know, people will say to me, I'm trying to work on my spiritual gifts and now I'm miserable every day. 
And I say, well, you know, you've taken the channel from what was probably the circumference of a garden hose, and now it's the circumference okay. of a, grain, a drain pipe. Well, you've been stretching it out. And the bigger it wow. is, the more messages come through faster. So that's mm-hmm. why you need the screens and the filters, and you have to be careful how fast you open up. It's different for me, I guess, because my mom was a, a psychic medium uh, and a therapist, and even yeah. though um, she was very in the closet about her gifts until I was in college, it, I still was raised with them. You know, just because somebody doesn't tell you what they are, they're still raising mm-hmm. you with the ideals of it. And I think she taught me how to protect myself for the most part from that mm-hmm. sort of what empathy was and didn't make me feel like I was crazy because I felt so much. Because a lot of people, I think, when they open up and they really start to discover their empathic gifts, they go back and look at their life and, you know, how many people told you, you're too dramatic, you feel too much, why can't you just get over it, why does everything mean mm-hmm. so much to you, how come you're so sensitive? And the answer to all mm-hmm. those questions is empath. Um, yeah. And I, I tell my, my clients that are newly acknowledging their empathy that are, and again, there's a difference in having empathy and being an empath. Um, the right. clients that are empaths that it's, you know, I always say when I teach my empath workshop, congratulations, you're an empath, and my condolences, you're an empath. Um, but it goes <laughs> from being the biggest hindrance in your life to becoming the most beautiful thing in your life. It's just right. you have to learn right. how to deal with it, you know? Right. You have you to have learn. To it's kind of like uh, I'm sorry? Well, I was going to say you have to have sufficient self-esteem to be able to put your own life jacket on first or whatever, your own oxygen mask on first. Right. Instead of, Hard. Instead of yes. going down with, the, down with the ship. Yeah. Absolutely. I so always tell you, people that. Do if you, you don't, teach, it's just, yeah. Do you teach people to, do I teach? to develop their, their psychic skills or do you just work I with do. other people, yeah. work with people? Wow. No, I teach Amazing. people how to develop their gifts, but I also teach people mm-hmm. how to deal with their gifts because right. I think sometimes people go and take classes, like the big thing is everybody always wants to know how to open their third eye, right? How do I open my third eye? Right. And then, you know, oh, I went to this, I'm going to this class to learn to open my third eye. And they always say, be careful, be careful. <laughs> and then, you know, two weeks later, they're calling me in hysterics. Why can't I sleep? Why can I hear the cat's heart beating? Well, <laughs> you know what? Oh, my God. You open that third eye. So you have right. to do it slowly, and you have to do it in um, – it's like getting a tan, right? You don't just rub baby yeah. oil all over yourself and go sit out by the sun for 12 hours on the hottest day of the year because you wind up in the hospital. You, you put the suntan lotion on, you go for an hour, then three or four days later you go for an hour. It's the same thing when you're – conditioning your third eye to be open. You open it a little bit, and then you get used to it, then you open it a little bit. But people don't often teach that. People act like it's just a switch that you flip, and then, oh, isn't it wonderful when you flip it and you become this oracle, and then you just skip through the meadow for the rest of your life and have no problems. Well, you know, (laughs) when you open up that part of yourself, you're dealing with a whole separate part of yourself that you haven't had your whole life. Like, you know, our whole lives, many of us, our whole lives 
have had six senses, and we've been working on them since the day we were born, probably even in utero. Mm -hmm. So now you're 30, Mm -hmm. 40, 60, however old you are, and now you're opening up a brand new sense that you didn't have your entire life to get used to. And you just have to be careful with it. I mean, I think with anything, and and I'm this way too, you know, go big or go home, I'm Irish. I I think that we have a tendency to overcorrect, right? We get excited about something, and then it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to do that. And then we're doing it 400%, and then we wind up dealing with the ramifications of doing things too quickly. And I think we do that Mm -hmm. in, in nutritional changes. We do it in psychological changes we do it in spiritual changes i just basically think it's how we are you know it's what human beings do and so it's all about um moderation right like buddha said about i love buddha's quote about moderation that if the if the guitar string is too tight it snaps if it's too loose it won't play you've got to find that middle place and you really need to find that sweet spot if you're going to continue to grow your gifts because it's already going to be a lot without, you know, you doing it too quickly or the wrong way. Right. Well, we do love a shortcut, don't we? You know, sure. we all love. We love all do. This. I do. And I. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I, I love all those things yeah. on, you know, you see on YouTube and on, on, uh, you know, TikTok. You know what they call life hacks. You know, these things that sure. uh, people yeah. teach you how to, teach you how to put your socks on, that kind of thing. Quickly, um, <laughs> it's it's, right. it's all sorts of funny things, funny things. How to how to cut a melon, how to cut a pineapple, how to right. you know, I can't remember any of them, but right. I'm sure they're very useful. <laughs> well, you can open your third anyway. eye fast, but you just have to do it a little bit at a time. I mean, it doesn't take years right. and years and years for it to open. And people will call me and right. say, you know, I can't sleep. I'm feeling everybody's stuff. And, you know, they'll give me this long list of stuff, and at the end they'll say, and why isn't my third eye opening? And I start laughing, and I think, honey, if you got all these problems, it's already open wide, and you're fine. I don't right. know what people think wow. is going to happen when it opens, like uh, the angels are going to sing, or I, I'm not sure. But if you are feeling uh, yeah. all the pains of empathy, it's probably open right. wide, and you need to learn how to slap a screen on it, right. you know? right. So what do you I think, mean, so, so you know, you, kind of, I'm sorry. I was going to say, what do you think of, yeah, what what do you think of, um, you know, the effect on the psyche of this country of the events of, I hope you don't mind me bringing it to this, of the, of no. the children and the teachers that have been lost and the fact that, oh, you know, yeah. it's again and again and again, you know? Yeah, I think it's um, causing permanent psychological damage to the pulse of our country. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe we're a country that never properly even healed from 9-11. I think the malaise and the depression of what we, the PTSD that we dealt with after 9-11. You know, Pearl Harbor Mm -hmm. was awful, but it was also thousands of miles away. It was our country, but it wasn't in our face. But New York is our heart. I mean, it really is the heart of the country. And for something like that to to, to happen and so many to die instantly, we have never gotten over that. And so I think Mm -hmm. every time there's a shooting like this, worse when it's kids, worse when it's old people, but no matter who it is, it just continues to sort of 
uh, it's just another abusive situation that falls on top of that PTSD that's already there. And I think we're, ha- yeah. we're all having a very hard time. And I'm very thankful for social media. And I know social media, right, is your best friend and your worst enemy. But I'm very thankful for social media because it's a place where people can just say, I'm scared, I'm freaked out, this isn't okay with me, I can't sleep. And the first step for healing is being able to talk about it, right, and not keep it all Mm -hmm. inside where it becomes destructive. But I think from a spiritual perspective, I mean, I think we're in the battle for our lives, right? It's the There's always a balance of good and evil in this world and and the universe and it, it 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 sometimes it tips one way and sometimes it tips another and this is the time for you to walk into the light stay in the light do what you can to help others and tip the balance over to light as much as you can because there's a lot going on right now and yeah um, to me it all starts with yeah. the spiritual and the spiritual affects the psychological which then affects the intellectual um, then and then sometimes affects people's physicality, right? So um, yeah. this mindset, if you're not happy with your life, you just go to your school and shoot up all your classmates. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a sociological and spiritual sickness, every bit as much mm-hmm. as a psychological illness of whoever that person is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that... Um, I used to work. Can you hear me? Okay. I can. Yeah. Are you there? Okay. Good. I, so I, yeah. if I, I I used to work with with uh, adolescents with behavioural issues, and uh, you know there are some kids that are set up in such a way in their lives that shooting up a classroom seems to make sense. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not yeah. justifying it, making it right, but. If, if uh, in terms of the spiritual, if only we could learn to walk in each other's shoes and to take the time with children to walk in their shoes and to really have a good, clear understanding. And if there were multi-agencies that, you know, were equipped and, you know, if, if there was money for that instead of money for the stupid things, like, you know, yeah. it's been fascinating to me I love the fact that um, uh, the, the other day in Europe, you know, the big, the big news was that, um, you know, and it was across the whole of Europe, the big news is that someone had thrown a cake at, uh, you know, in the Louvre. The, at the, yeah. uh, they had thrown a cake at the, um, oh, my goodness, I can't remember her name now. But you know what I'm saying. It's called, in French, she's called La Jaconde, which is no good to anybody. Yeah. Mona Lisa, thank you. Mona yeah. Lisa. And and that, that was the big news. You know, that yeah. that I mean and in 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 and she was she was behind glass anyway, but that was the big news in Europe as you know, compared to the big news here in America. Amazing. Yeah. No, I remember when in the nineties sure. my ex boyfriend and I loved to watch the show Cops. And it was because he considered it like a psychological experiment to watch the criminals and how the cops reacted to them. So one day we were watching cops and it was, it was cops in London. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if, if officers in London still don't carry guns, but at this time they did not. So they're on the door and right. they're banging and the guy's screaming and it's like some method or something. And, um, and yeah. the, the lady officer, sir, 
if you don't open the door, we're going to have to continue to speak harshly to you. And, you know, Paul and I just cracked up because we thought, oh, my God, in this country, the guns would have already been out. Somebody's kneecap would have been shot off. But her whole thing was, you know, don't make me come back there and speak harshly. And it worked. The guy opened the door. It worked. And we thought, what would it be like to live in a place where that's the final sun you pull out? And and it worked. So I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, I think... Violence begets violence, right? The more that happens here, um, yeah. the more we think it's okay. It becomes our bar for what's okay. Mm-hmm. And it's just I know crazy. that they, they, and, they do have machine guns outside Buckingham Palace because sure, uh, right. my, mother, my, my mother and I were there one day just before, the day before the Jubilee. And uh, I, might have, I might have told this story before, but... Um, uh, I desperately wanted my mother to see the Queen again because she was at the actual coronation of the Queen um, oh, wow. in 19, cool. whatever it was. And uh, right. so my mother was, you know, kind of, she was sort of not on her way out exactly, but it would be the last time, you know, that she would. Anyway, we were standing at the right. gate of Buckingham Palace and a policeman with a machine gun. And this is the difference between the relationship with the police here and there. The, the uh, policeman said uh, to us, um, Madam, uh, to my mother, Madam, if you would mind moving onto the pavement away from the gates. And my mother just said, why? <laughs> she didn't move. She said, why? Why should we? And he said, Madam, please, would you move away from the gates? And she said, yeah, but why, why? Why have I got, you know, she wasn't, this is a man, big, big man standing there with a machine gun. And, and then <laughs> and he said, he winked, he winked and he said, Madam, uh, please move away from the gate and you might want to get your camera out. And so we, we hustled to the side of the gate and before we knew it, the Queen was coming out in her Bentley and wow. gave my mother a little wave, which was so sweet. But what oh. a difference, right? I mean, you yeah. wouldn't speak to the, somebody standing outside the White House like that, would you? Well, I'll, I'll I mean, give that was you my a, mother's. an example of the difference here, right? My, my head of, I have a friend uh-huh. that fronted a popular band in the 80s who just happened to play my my grad night at Disneyland so when we first met and realized I was like hey your band played my grad night and we started kicking up a conversation and she said do you know behind the scenes at Disneyland they all carry machine guns so wow guards were armed even in the 80s at a theme park I mean you know granted Disneyland is the theme park but at a theme park wow um Wow. But, you know, you know, you, she's like, it's just so happy, and it's Mickey Mouse, and it smells like popcorn, and you go backstage <laughs> and drive with machine guns. So I wow. think that's the difference. And I wonder if, and I love my country. I always have. I'm from one of the original 13 colonies. I'm so proud to be here. But you wonder sometimes, uh-huh. again, if that just the bar of what's okay and then it just escalates and escalates and escalates, as I really believe it has, you know. And maybe they mm-hmm. have to at Disneyland, because if they didn't, somebody would get shot there. I mean, maybe there's a reason for that level of protection. Well, there's but, so many I mean, people that if, they, if somebody went in with an AR-15 into Disneyland, I mean, they could decimate so many people in one go, couldn't they? Because it's so crowded most of the time. Oh. That would be just terrible. Uh, 
I mean, I worry about, I mean, look, depression is a worldwide condition. Anxiety is a worldwide condition. Insecurity is a worldwide condition. But I just worry sometimes about the level of anger. And you can't say it's all video games because people have video games all over the world. People watch TV and movies all over the world. I just think that there is, there's just, it's almost like we've caught an illness here. And, Mm -hmm. um, it's an epidemic that we need to work on in the same way that we had to work on the COVID epidemic, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, I heard this morning that America has 400 million guns, you know, that, that yeah. you know, there's that, that many guns out there. So it would be much more difficult to do what they did in Australia or in New Zealand than what they're doing in Canada now. Um, sure. You know, it would be almost exactly. impossible. But um, what is it? Yeah. I mean, I, is it because, I don't know, is it, is it can we blame the cowboys? <laughs> you know, that, that, you know, that early lifestyle of the people taking over the Native American land and all of that, well, that and there's been no... I mean, that happened, all over, that happened all over South America, right? That happened all over the islands. It happened in Africa and in mm-hmm. India. I mean, colonization is no... Um, I mean, that's, that's a thing. It's not just here. You know, I, I think part of it, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think part of it may be with the fact that, and this is so horrible to say, that, that, you know, a lot of people that didn't fit in where they were either came here or got sent here. Um, right. I think it still becomes a refuge for people who don't feel good about where they're from. They come here. Um, but the same could be right. said for Canada. Um, well, I think that well, Australia, rebel- Australians were all con- were convicts. So, you know, Australia right, got the people totally who were being so sent over. Right, exactly. I mean, I, I think it's just a lot of, I mean, I think some of it has to do with um, maybe convicts are more mellow than religious fanatics. I mean, this place was founded by <laughs> a lot of really extreme religious people. And if you right. um, live by the Bible word for word, and I have nothing against the Bible, but I believe it's allegorical. If you look at the Bible and you follow every word, I mean, the Old Testament, there's a lot of stuff in there about smiting and killing and burning. And and I think mm-hmm. maybe there was an anger that existed there, and it's carried down. Interesting, I remember when I was in um, college, and I lived in Orange County, which was at the time extremely Christian and white and conservative and um, I mean it still has the remnants of that but it's so different now Um, my mom and I had season tickets at what was the theater in Orange County and we went and saw a version of As You Like It Shakespeare's As You Like It and there was a thing in the program all about why Shakespeare has never really taken off in the United States the way it has in practically every other country in the world and and in this and this was like I don't know maybe 1989 that I was reading this. It said that the mm-hmm. the reason for that is that because of the Puritans, we still have that Puritan ethic, and Shakespeare had a freeness and a bawdiness and a randiness, and you right. know breaking the social stereotypes. And it's still very poo pooed here because even though those people are long gone, and even though the people in this country. That, that are here currently may even say they're, they're not religious, they, they don't believe, they're not Christians, 
there's an energy that has carried down from the 1500s. And culturally, you can still visually feel that in this country. It's kind of like this, to be lovely, but, <laughs> you know, if men are naked on film in this country, they almost always are wearing a fake penis over their penis. Um, I can tell you what every – yeah, yeah. did you not know that? That's a thing. I did not know um, that. I can, pretty much, I can pretty much draw every British actor's penis from memory because you see it like every film. So there's a, there's a fear, right? Now, we'll, we'll exploit women, even women. We think women wear the Merkins and – you know what I mean? I mean, it's – but it's okay to show somebody – you know, like saw stuck in a rat trap, but it's not okay to right. show somebody's natural body. And I right. and even when people are naked, they have the pressure, both male and female, to augment their bodies to look a certain way. So there's a whole thing about mm. natural nudity that's so different here than in other places in the world. And I think that that's that Puritan ethic, right? Floating right down. Right. Yeah. I remember I was, uh, you know, when in my younger days, I was a, a very, very zealous, fundamental, born-again Christian. And sure. um, I, uh, I'm, I'm better now. But um, I remember going, going to, you know, on the, I was on this missionary team. And I remember being in the dormitory with all these other women. I guess I was in my late 20s. And I was wearing you know, underwear that was just like, for me, just like normal underwear. And they were all wearing these great big things that came sort of, it, it, it felt like they went down to their knees and up to the, you know, up to the, up to the bra yeah. because it was just, they were just wearing Blue these orders. huge, huge right. underpants. What are they called? Like bloomers what are they that called? they wore in the Victorian? Yeah, like, like bloomers. What? Yeah. And they, they're they like bloomers. And I, and I, uh, you know, we changed communally it wasn't a, a big deal but I remember them seeing them seeing my underpants and being absolutely horrified that I was wearing these I mean they considered them to be indecent and uh, right. they were yeah. I wasn't wearing a g-string g or anything like that I was just wearing regular underpants or what I thought were anyway but but so yeah. but that's I was so shocked because partly because you know I, I grew up watching American movies and you don't get that, you don't, you know, from the movies, you don't get that conservative sort of feel, you know. Um, right. So it was, it was quite shocking. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yes. it's, it's a thing. And I think it's a thing that we're still trying to work on. It's, um, mm -hmm. it's something that we, as a society, are trying to heal from. But, you know, heal from 500 years later. I mean, that's a long time to not right. have progressed. And I think in a lot of ways we have. I mean, we're, you know, we're the United States of America. We're, we, um, we have probably, Hollywood probably puts out more, you know, crazy um, uh, sexy movies than any place else in the world. But it depends mm -hmm. on the way it's done. And it's all done from a very exploitative way, and it's very right. different. So let's say you see an American film, and there's going to be, um, you know, four women bouncing up and down in a shower, and they all have enormous boob jobs, and, um, you know, and there's three guys behind the shower, 
uh, masturbating and looking at them. British film, you see five actors in a Victorian set film, and they're all naked, and they're bathing in a river. You know what I mean? It's not set up <laughs> to be exploitation. It's just here yeah. are people in their natural thing, and hey, guess what? If there's no one around and you're in the river, you're all going to take your clothes off, and no one cares. Um, wow. So I think they're seeking that freedom that, um, mm-hmm. you know, where it's not done in such a – because when you're showing the girls in the shower and the guys peeping around the corner – it still has a little bit of a sex is bad underlying tone to it. Oh, see how nasty yeah. it is? This is it's nasty. If a bunch of people yeah. are just in a river bathing, and some of those, you, know, you see some A-list actors, and I say this because I watch a lot of British films and I watch a lot of Canadian films and a lot of Australian films, um, you see a lot of, of big-name actors uh, completely mm. naked and not caring. And that's yep. so natural, right? Because that makes it a, a it becomes mm-hmm. a nothing burger. It becomes a non-issue. It just becomes natural. Mm-hmm. It's not weird and titillating and freaky. Um, I think we need to grow past that because I think a lot of that, the social uh, repression, the sexual repression, the um, cultural repression the um, worry of being around others that are not just like you, whether that's the way they look or their gender or their sexuality or where they live or how much money they have. I think all of these repressions lead to pent-up emotions that can't be properly executed. And I think sometimes when an emotion can't be properly executed, that's where resentment starts. It's where violence starts, it's where insecurity starts, anger um, all of that stuff, right? All those bad emotions come when you're mm-hmm. not allowed to process all the thoughts in your head. Right. So you, you, when you come from a shame-based uh, culture, culture, where you yeah. know you, where there's a focus, especially a focus on the physical, on the appear, on the also on the appearance, because so much of this stuff yes. has nothing to do with, you know, who we are inside. It's all to do with, you know, what it looks like on the outside. Right. Right, and we see that, I think, uh, part of that is a human condition, but, and I'm going to mm-hmm. say this again with love for my country, I think it's specifically an American condition. And um, I can't think of any other country in the world where people have pressure put on them to look a certain way, and right. uh, especially in our media, but even not in our media, right? Even in our, in our friend groups, and it doesn't matter if you're straight, gay, bi, trans, intersex, or the plus sign, doesn't matter who you are or how old you are, um, there's always somebody who's going to be judging you for the way you look and um, right. and thinking they have a right to do it. And I think that's a you, very bad habit that we've developed. Right. How do you get your head around the people who, the politicians that support the NRA the way they do and the people who... I mean, I, I don't know which vision it was who said, um, uh, who just said recently, you know, it's not, the problem isn't the gun. I think it was just yesterday somebody said that. I mean, yeah. how, do they, how do they ignore it and let people, children continue to be, you know, shot and not do anything about it? Is, is it because they don't get the funds from, they need the, the lobbyists, they need the... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think things like, like two of the biggest problems in our country, right, sweetie, um, guns and big pharma. 
guns and addiction. Right. And it's because those two um, areas of business are the biggest supporters financially of politicians. And I think that right. oftentimes, as sad as this is, a person's number one motivator over over their over their family, over their church, over their principles is their pocketbook. People want to make a lot right. of money. And the more they make, mm-hmm. the more they decide they have to have. And they're mm-hmm. never going to shut the NRA down because the NRA puts so much money in their pockets. And then they get – then they also I think there's a whole other sect that, you know, the having a gun goes with your right of being religious and the Christian. And then there's you have to have a gun to protect yourself from the other – and then there's, mm-hmm. you know, well, it's in the Constitution. Hey, I don't have a problem that it's in the Constitution, but maybe we need to put some, you know, really um, uh, very re- strict constraints on how and who can get a gun. I'm not here to take everybody's right. guns away or tell people they can't hunt. I don't, I'm not that person. Um, mm-hmm. I believe everyone needs to meet in the middle, not swing the pendulum too far one way or the other. But there needs to yeah. be rules for who can have a gun and why. And I mm-hmm. think if your child, if you had guns in your house and your child got them and shot up the school, you are also criminally liable for that because when you get a gun, you have to take responsibility for it. You know, when if, you have, um, if you're a martial artist and your hands are registered as a weapon, if you get angry one night, punch somebody in a bar, and they die, you are criminally responsible for your hands that are a weapon. Yet you're not wow. criminally responsible for your guns in the house if they're just sitting there. Mm-hmm. They're still a weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to yeah. be careful. And I think these yeah. people like, oh, we had them in the cabinet, but, you know, he knew where the key was. Well, why? Why did a, why did a minor living in your house know where the key was? Yeah. It's, and and yeah, where, it's, where were you watching your child when your child was developing uh-huh. all this isolated, angry, resentful behavior? And, you know, I understand right. it's, uh, it's very taboo to, to reach out and talk about mental illness in this world. But, you know, we need to really start doing that because that's just a human sickness. That's our whole, our, that's a special problem, you know? Right. Well, I'm hoping that that might become more the com- that conversation might become more and more common because that's where the beginning. I, so. I think it's the beginning and the end, you know, of it all. Yeah, yeah. I hope so too. Yeah. But it's hard yeah. in the face of that. As healers and as artists, and you and I are both, we mm-hmm. have to try to just pour light into everything, right? To just raise the light vibration because. We can't fix what the politicians are doing. We can't fix what parents are doing in their homes. And we can't control who buys or watches a gun that they've bought. But, so we just have to kind of keep trying to cheer people up and keep people filled with light and inspire people and heal people and, and hope in a way that makes it better. Right. And, and uh, even well, as well as that, is, is our job is to... Own our own stuff, own our darkness, own our shadow, own our, you know, and not Absolutely. not set ourselves up in such a way that we look like something that we're not, you know. We're just human. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All of us, even those that are here, we're just humans with an extra job. Yeah, I love one of the uh, one of the Sandy one of the Sandy Hook mothers. 
she lost her little boy, her six-year-old boy, and she was saying that there are only two kind of people. There are good people, and then there are good, good, good people who are sick. And I love that. I love that description. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of evil out there, but, you know, I think a lot of it starts with damage. Yeah. So I sorted the world Maybe you're out, wonderful. good. Now, well, this is a great <laughs> conversation. Um, where can people find you online? And uh, what a joy to spend time with you again. Oh, thank you, Angie. www.fionagoodwin.com. Uh, my next full performance of my show, my stage play, is at the moment. It's Palm Springs, uh, 30th of October. And, and then on a Friday, I do a Facebook live show, and you just go to um, a very British lesbian. Dot com. No, not dot .com. A Very British Lesbian on Facebook or Fiona Goodwin on Facebook. You can find the live shows on Facebook. Wonderful. So, and Do if that, you, my friend. If you want the book, so important. thank you. And if you want the book, you can go to Amazon. And uh, it's ever so cheap. <laughs> I love that. Please so. go and get it. And please follow this wonderful woman who is um, doing her best to heal people one laugh at a time. I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. You too, Sheena. Thanks. Lots of love. Ciao. Take care. The wonderful Fiona Goodman, everybody. If you missed those links, SheenaMetalSpiritual.com. That's my site for everything. Uh, all your psychic and spiritual needs, radio, video, stuff about me, SheenaMetalSpiritual.com. On social media, I am everywhere, just at Sheena Metal, like my name. Um, I'm here every Tuesday and every Wednesday doing my Raising the Vibration and Haunted Playground shows, respectively. We'll be back tomorrow with Haunted Playground. Uh, that's Pacific time because I come out of L.A. Um, wonderful and thrilled to be a part of the Live Paranormal family, the iHeartRadio family, and all of the families that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Till I see you next time, seek peace, live in love, lead with kindness, embrace unity, always raise your vibration, and remember that you are love and you are loved. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for being here. It's Raising the Vibration on LifeParanormal.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over the limit by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details.